either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Got a little bit of everything and a special guest to check in with this week. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Welcome to the Screening Room Podcast. We'll start out with an intimate look at the extraordinary rise, fall, and redemption of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. This is the eyes of Tammy Faye. Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. to be poor. <laughs> now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda. Homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. She's a firecracker, Jim. <laughs> if everyone watching could double their pledge just for one month, God loves you. He really does. We're not doing anything wrong, though. Is that a question? I love Jessica Chastain. I always have, and I am so excited to see a film where she transforms in this way. Yeah, she's she's a fantastic actress, and she really just carries this film. As you can tell from the title, this is all... You know, you could say through her eyes, but it's it's certainly all about her, and it's a, a very unabashedly sympathetic portrait of Tammy Faye Baker throughout what they called the Pearly Gate scandal of the 1980s. And she, of course, to become Tammy Faye Baker is helped out by some facial prosthetics. Got to get those jowls yeah. right. And a mountain of makeup. Yes. Because if you remember Tammy Faye, that's, that's, that was her. That's what you remember. Yeah, exactly right. And, uh, but that's one of the things the movie wants to point out, that she was a lot more than that. And even for people who lived through those headlines, as we did, there was a lot about Tammy Faye that this movie points out that I didn't know. And it, that's, I think, what the main mission of this movie is. And they certainly accomplished it. it it's interesting because it's based on a documentary from 20 years ago of the exact same name. Right. So if you went to search on it, you would find two. Uh, but uh, this is one that is directed by Michael Showalter, and you know him. He did The Big Sick. Such a great movie. Which is one of my favorite romantic comedies of the last many, many years. Yep. He also did a great movie with Sally Field called my, Hello, My Name is Doris. Right. I really enjoyed that. And he did a lot of work back in the day on uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Right. So, yeah, definitely got some talent here. The only, I think the biggest flaw about this movie is that it, it paints with a broader brush than maybe I would have liked to, to get the complete context of the, the entire circumstance, I guess. But they want to tell the story of Tammy Faye, and they, they do some background on her and how she first met Jim Baker. And Jim Baker is played by Andrew Garfield, also very good. And then through their rise, and they built their their PTL show and then the network and then they had the whole theme park heritage usa and then it all came crashing down and as well developed as the tammy faye character is that comes at the expense of some of the other characters and really you would think that the main relationship at the heart of this movie would be tammy faye and jim baker but it's not the main relationship here is from tammy faye and her mother 
Rachel, played by the great Cherry Jones. You know, she has never turned in a bad performance in her life. She is really one of the most reliable, talented character actors working. She really is. And I hope she gets some... I'm pretty sure Jessica Chastain will get some award consideration here as a lead, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I hope Cherry Jones does. Because you're right. She just always... She just elevates everything she's in. And so the the main dynamic is driven by their relationship. Because Tammy Faye becomes a woman who is driven to... Give everybody else, make everyone else feel the love that she never did. And even under that cartoonish outward persona, Jessica Chastain is able to make her someone that you really sympathize with and, and, and how she became the person that she did. And it shows her as, a, as a, a woman who is kind of fighting for her place when she's usually in a situation where the, the, the wives just, you know, stay out of this, step aside, this is men's work. And more importantly... As a Christian who has dedicated herself to the teachings of Christ and first and foremost, love everybody. Everyone deserves your love because everyone gets God's love. And she championed social programs for the poor. And early on, she became a gay rights icon. In the early days of the AIDS epidemic, she was on her Christian TV show talking about it, talking about how. The, the gay community deserves the love of the Christian community. And nowadays you'd think that would never happen. And she was doing that. And she was also doing shows about penile implants to, to help marriages in, in, in on her Christian shows. So I didn't know things like that because yeah. I never watched the show. <laughs> but So there's a lot you can learn about her, and that's what this movie wants you to do. And I think that for, it's it's definitely mission accomplished, and it is entertaining, and the performance is great. I think where it falters a little bit, it does bring in some actual news footage and some actual headlines of the day. And that's when you get the feeling that it really was trying to make the entire situation live in a broader context. Maybe bring it into present day a little bit more that is never quite successful at doing. Uh, but other than that, it's uh, if you just go for the main performance and, and really learning more about this person, that's... That's what the, the film does most successfully. Um, and it also uh, has um, Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. plays Jerry Falwell. Yeah. And that's another character. I mean, we, we do, we're pretty familiar with Jerry Falwell, but like Jim Baker, those are two side characters that aren't quite developed as, as well as maybe they could be or should be. So that's, I think, what holds the film back a little bit. But still entertaining and a great performance, and it is in theaters only right now, called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Next up is the latest from producer, director, and star Clint Eastwood, a one-time rodeo star and washed-up horse breeder, takes a job to bring a man's young son home and away from his alcoholic mom. This is Cry Macho. You used to be strong, macho. I used to be a lot of things, but I'm not now. Now I'll tell you something. This macho thing is overrated. Just people trying to be macho show that they've got grit. That's about all they end up with. We all have to make choices in life, kid. You have to make yours. Well, this one is based on a book from the mid-1970s, and once you get into it, you can see how and why this story appealed to Clint Eastwood. Yeah, you know, I think that there are different films 
throughout, especially maybe the last 20 years of, of Eastwood's career, where you can see it seems like he's saying something specifically about his career. And I think that started with Unforgiven. And this is one that is not a great film, but if it is his swan song, I think it is somewhat appropriate because it's this old man who's just kind of telling a young boy all that macho stuff that doesn't really amount to anything. Yeah, you hate to really bring this up, but when you are 91 years old and making movies, you kind of have to wonder, well, if this does turn out to be his last one, It could be a fitting swan song. Certainly the theme is. I think the problem with the film, with the both of us, is just how how contrived the story gets. But yeah, the the theme is very, very fitting. He he is imparting his wisdom to to this boy, and it has a lot to do with the fact that, yeah, put aside that stuff. Because the boy is young, and he's all about it. He's got a... He's involved in, in Mexico. He's involved in cockfighting. So he's got a rooster, and the rooster's name is Macho. Mm-hmm. You know, And Mike Milo, Clint Eastwood's character, is all about put that aside. And you can very much hear the filmmaker himself talking through the character. Yeah. Uh, very much so. But, yeah, boy, just as the story goes along, every little thing that has to happen happens at the exact right moment. It's it's so convenient. And there, I mean, so much of the story is told to you. It is said out loud yeah. as opposed to sort of, you know, being unveiled through action. I mean, yeah. so much of it. Um, and I think you can tell that from the trailer. Dwight Yoakam's character, who is the boy's father, mm-hmm. just says, you haven't been the same since that was before the, you know, I think, wow, that's a lot to just explain to me in, during the trailer. So there's an awful lot of that. Uh, there are very few, very deep characters at all in the film but it does have some nice sort of road picture buddy picture kind of moments to it yeah the screenplay was adapted by nick shank who's worked with eastwood here for on a few projects on grand torino and i think the mule and one thing that you got to wonder they always have to work in the fact that this old man is still making it with the younger women yeah it's Um, uh and, and in this film i mean he He's every inch of 91 in this yeah. movie. There's a scene where he's sort of... And God bless him. Yes, absolutely. Come on. Um, and, and it's funny because one of the characters is is a grandmother, and she's still probably 30 years younger than he is. I mean, she, he's yeah, 91. He could still, be, still be her dad. Yeah. <laughs> but, but all in all, it's a nice, it's a nice movie. It, as the story goes along, it has its... We keep saying conveniences. It, it, it could be contrivances, really. Oh, yeah. But it's a nice movie, and... When you think about it in those terms, Eastwood looking back on his own life and his own image and persona, then it, it, it is a very nice theme that if it, this does turn out to be his last movie, and I, I, I hope he lives, you know, to be 200. Sure. But, you know, if it does, this is a very nice, it's not great, but it is a nice... No, it's mediocre. Yeah, it's it a is, mediocre film, it's but a, it's a nice send-off. It is. It is a nice send-off if it turns out to be that way. And it's uh, in theaters and HBO Max right now called Cry Macho. How about an action crime thriller on the run from a lethal assassin? A wily con artist devises a scheme to hide out inside a small town police station. But when the hitman turns up at the precinct, an unsuspecting rookie cop finds herself caught in the crosshairs. It's cop shop. Take me through the last 24 hours. I need to know everything. Which one are you going to arrest me? Get on the ground. What are you people to arrest me? Why were you looking to get locked up? Someone trying to kill you? What'd you do? I did what I had to do. To get to you, Teddy. I'm not a psychopath. I'm a professional. 
Anthony, I need you to clear off my contract. How about competing parties for one Theodore Moretto? <laughs> Just kind of wanted to see how this whole thing would play out. It's Frank Grillo. Yeah. And uh, and Gerard Butler. Yep. There you go. So there you go. Shoot I mean, him up. Uh, you, and and Joe Carnahan. Yeah. You know what the movie is before you even see it. You pretty much do, and it is a lot of fun. Yeah. You've got Frank Grillo as a mob fixer, Teddy, and he gets himself arrested on purpose so he can have the safety of a jail cell. Well, that doesn't work very well because even though he's in this small town, this small Nevada town, Gun Creek is the name. Oh. So that's subtle. Uh, <laughs> right outside of Las Vegas, he thinks he's safe from the hitman, but he's not because a hitman Bob Biddick, played by Gerard Butler, also gets himself arrested. So now they're in the same jail, but uh, they're not alone very long because uh, a lot of other bad guys are involved with what they're involved in. So the uh, jailhouse there... Starts getting very busy, and before long, you've got this rookie cop, Valerie Young, played by Alexis Lauder, who steals this movie. She's great. Uh, Her character very soon has to pick which one of these untrustworthy guys can be most trusted, or else she's not going to get out of this alive. It's just a turn-your-brain-off, enjoy-the-shoot-em-up action fun, and... We talked about this with Malignant last week, about how the first two acts, we didn't think, although a lot of people disagree with us, boy, did we hear it this week. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't think the first two acts of Malignant were strong enough to carry the lunacy that comes in in the third act. This movie does it right, because as crazy as it gets in the finale, it sets it up well enough. The mood is established well enough early on that you're you're going with it. It's the dialogue is snappy and smart and witty and funny often, and so you know it's got a self-aware vibe to it mm-hmm. that, that Malignant didn't have. And that's the last thing I'm going to say about Malignant. <laughs> but yeah, Joe Carnahan, who's done I, he's done some stuff that I've really liked. The gray. Not, not everything. Loved the gray. Yep. Loved the gray. But his. His uh, and he did um, the other one with Frank Grillo, uh, Boss Level, right? Uh, which I enjoy, sort of in the same vibe. Just turn your brain off and go with the action. And the action is well staged, finds a nice middle ground between tense and preposterous, and it's got some crazy dialogue that you know they talk about everything from Chris Hemsworth to coleslaw <laughs> as they go back and forth in in the middle of killing each other. And I have to, as as I said, Alexis Louder who. I wasn't really familiar with. She's done a lot of work, mostly on TV. Uh, A lot of people might know her from the TV version of Watchmen. She's just great as the rookie cop. And also, i got to give a mention to Toby Huss, another veteran actor known most, I think, to us as the Wiz in Seinfeld. He's the Wiz, and nobody beats him. That one episode. (laughs) He's done a lot of other work. Anyway, he plays this hitman who's just nuts. He just sprays bullets on everybody and everything and poses as a balloon salesman and likes to sing soul classics as he's killing people. He's crazy. He he comes close to stealing this as well. So there's just a lot to like. Are you going to remember it much longer after you've watched it? No. No, you're not. <laughs> but you are going to have a good time while you are watching it. And uh, we got a kick out of it. It's called Cop Shop, and it's in theaters now. Well, let's up the crazy a little bit. A notorious criminal must break an evil curse in order to rescue an abducted girl who has mysteriously disappeared. This is Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of the Ghost Land. How do I get out of here? You must surrender to fate. Ah! 
radioactive. No one escapes the ghost lab. No one! Nicholas Cage and Science Sono, who um, has his own big cabinet full of nutty movies that he has made. My favorite is uh, Suicide Club, but I mean, he's made a ton, and they're all a mm-hmm. bit nutty. And this seems like such a perfect pairing. It seems like such a perfect pairing for for his first English language film, Sono's first English language film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's really a Western, but it's set in samurai town. So it's this... Um, combination of the two different styles of filmmaking and i think in a way to show how really the the samurai is the japanese equivalent of a cowboy right and that these movies really fit together quite well but it's not just that simple it's also kind of steampunk it's also a musical it's also got a little (laughs) mad max going on in there yeah you know and there are some zombies i'm not gonna lie to you it's a big mishmash of stuff and it's often absolutely stunning to look at. I mean, there are certain scenes that are just gorgeous. Very, very cool to look at. It's got Nicolas Cage as the hero, and he has to go rescue the governor. The governor, by the way, played by Bill Mosley. Oh, yeah, so great. Big white suit. Uh, sort of unrecognizable, I think, really. He's got with a, the big, yeah, yeah, big with old the, grizzly beard yeah, and the, the white suit. Anyway, Hero has the task to go and rescue the governor's daughter, Bernice, played by Sofia Botella, from the ghost land. And right. she, uh, the hero is told that she's a prisoner, but is she really? And uh, that's the journey. Very, yeah, you're, the Mad Max uh, comparison is apt. But, yeah, there's a lot of different homages, but it's just, it really is nuts. And it really is cool to look at. We actually got to see this uh, a few months ago at the uh, Sundance, the virtual Sundance. Right. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. And if you, as much as we love Pig and Nicolas Cage in Pig, this is back to Rage in the Cage. Yes, exactly. It absolutely is. And I was really looking forward to this because, you know, for, for some people, if you only have so many films at Sundance to watch and you choose this one, people might be scratching their head. But I was absolutely thrilled at the idea of this filmmaker working with this actor. Yeah. And it was fun and it was cool. I don't think it was everything I hoped it would be. For example, I don't think the lunacy comes together as well as something like Cop Shop. I feel like it was sort of... That's fair. It was such a mixed bag. It looked great. I don't think it hung together all that well. But I definitely enjoyed myself. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. But I think both we would both still uh, recommend it. For sure. And it is in theater starting this weekend. Prisoners of the Ghostland. And next up is a great collection of horror comedy short films. This one is called Hilarious. get this one on Prime or on Tubi, and you should. You should do yourself a favor, especially if you like horror shorts. It's a it's an anthology of horror comedies, and it's pr- perfect for spooky season. They're very funny. Some of them are really exceptional short films. Born Again is a great movie. Lunch Ladies is a... I mean, they are two... Those two alone, they are two of the best uh, horror short comedies that I have seen in years. Yeah, we should... Full disclosure, we are friends with some of the filmmakers involved here, yes. But we're, we're absolutely being... 100% authentic when we say these are funny and they are really worth seeing. And it's great that we're able to put them all together in this one 
collection that is feature length, so you can see them all. It's fantastic, and we're so glad, because we've known about this for a while, but we're so glad that it's being made more available and you can just stream it, because I think people will really get a kick out of it. Yeah, it's perfect for Halloween. You should check it out. Yes, hilarious. Available now on VOD and Tubi or Tubby, whichever. (laughs) (laughs) Is it GIF or JIF? (laughs) Oh, come on. We know it's Tubi. Got a comedy next. An aimless ne'er-do-well becomes a tour guide in a historic estate and winds up befriending the manor's resident ghost. This is Lady of the Manor. How dare you pose as me in my own house? Um, does everybody see this old-timey-looking lady right now? Oh, sorry. Lady Wattsworth was the absolute classics. Okay. I need your help, not because you're a man. Okay. Because you're a nerd. Oh. I got an old-fashioned bitch ghost. You are a disgrace. I won't have people thinking I behave like you. You're such a good drunk driver. Thanks, I know. If you insist on pretending to be me, will you allow me to teach you how to be a lady? Okay, just please stop cock-blocking me. Cock-blocking. So this one's a near miss. It, um, Christian and Justin Long, so the actor Justin Long mm-hmm. and his brother Christian, they write and direct and Justin co-stars mm-hmm. in this movie. And the, the reason to see it would be the real stars are Melanie Linsky and Judy Greer. I, I'm in for that. Right. Those two are, they're like uh, among the very best character actors working today. They're always good. And in this case, Linsky doesn't always get comedy roles. Greer very often does. They're very funny. Greer plays... Lady Wadsworth, who was the original owner of this now historic manor, and she's long dead, and she sort of comes back to haunt the place once they hire this stoner, Melanie Linsky, to pretend to be her <laughs> as they, you know, as the tour guide. She she says, I am, you know, Lady Wadsworth, and she tours, takes them, takes tours, tour, and she takes tourists through the house. Sure. And that's the essentially the idea is that the actual Lady Wadsworth is so offended by this that she comes back to life. But really, there's a whole mystery that they're unraveling. Linsky is hilarious. When the two of them are together, it's charming and funny. The movie is just far too slight. It's way too slight to be a movie. It should be like a, a 30-minute drunk history episode. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a Patrick Duffy sighting. Where That's is, correct. Where has he been? And Ryan Phillippe. And Ryan feels Phillippe. Like, he feels like he's playing a send-up of his role in the, the Dangerous Liaisons movie. Which is movie. always endearing it when is. somebody does that. Mm-hmm. I give him credit for that. But yeah, it's it's pretty slight, but a couple of chuckles. And that is the new comedy from The Long Brothers. And that one's available on VOD, Lady of the Manor. Next up is a documentary featuring retired Ohio police officer Tim Harrison, who stumbles upon a bombshell discovery when he suspects that the world's most famous celebrity conservationist may be secretly connected to the exotic big cat trade. It's the conservation game. If somebody were to try to track down an animal that they saw on a late night show, I wouldn't bet more than a nickel that they'd be able to find one of them. We have this network of individuals who are using big cats, and there's no meaningful mechanism by which we can figure out where they're going. We've been knocked down, we've been lied to, and let me tell you something right now, the battle's on. Go! They're supposed to be ambassadors for the endangered species out there. (laughs) Who's looking out for them? How are you filming? So this was a particularly big deal here where we live in Columbus, Ohio, because 
it's the Columbus Zoo and Jack Hanna that gets kind of skewered by this yeah, one. Yeah, they definitely make a lot of accusations, not not just for them, but uh, at the Jack Hanna and the Columbus Zoo. And anytime you're talking about the big cats, of course, everybody thinks, oh, Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic. And they are definitely brought up in this, but uh, director Michael Weber is is mainly focused on this one man, Tim Harrison, the retired Ohio cop, who doesn't have time for all that nonsense. While all that was going on, he was has been very single-mindedly going about the business of really getting to the facts of this exotic animal trade. And it's he's he's just so dogged about it. He's one of those guys that puts up those on the wall these different thumbtacks attached with strings, you know, showing how different people in different scenarios are interconnected. And the serial killer collage? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> As he's tracking down all these different animal personalities that go on these shows, uh, including Jack Hanna, but there are many more that I was not aware of that are taking what they call these ambassador cats onto these shows. And then he's trying to find out, okay, what happens next? Well, these cats grow up, right? What happens? Where do they go? Do they really go to these sanctuaries that these animal personalities say they do? And what happens there? And then how about the breeders that keep these people supplied with these cats? There's a lot of dirty secrets, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't look good. I mean, there's some hidden camera footage that, as far as the uh, bullseye nature of it, really rivals some of the stuff you saw in Blackfish Mm -hmm. and The Cove. Mm -hmm. Um, It it really gets its point across. It really, really does, and makes it very clear about what needs to be changed, including one of the main things this movie is pushing is the passage of the Big Cat Safety Act uh, to really get some legislation behind this and stop this exploitation of these animals. And, uh, yeah, like you say, it's very personal to us here because we are, as you may know, based in Columbus, Ohio. And because of that, we thought we had an opportunity to maybe get inside it a little bit more, and we're very glad to be joined by Dr. Jan Raymer, who's the Senior Vice President of Animal Care and Conservation for the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, and we very much appreciate your time. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Sure, sure. We were talking, actually I said in my written review of the movie, that this is so, it's so close to people here in this area because uh, a lot of people like myself have long thought of the Columbus Zoo as a, as a national treasure and uh, and Jack Hanna as a local hero. And while he is far from the only one mentioned in this movie, he's the most famous by far. So that's going to attract the most headlines. So I just wondered, first of all, what your overall impression of the film is. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I um, It's difficult to watch, for sure. You've seen it. Um, and, you know, we took the allegations in the film very, very seriously. And what I can say is that we, we are really, really sorry for the effect that the decisions made by our previous leadership had on some of the animals that were used in media appearances. What I, what I really want the audience to know is that, it, and it's important to know, that these bad decisions about the use of animals in media appearances by previous leadership are in the past for the Columbus Zoo. We are still that that great zoo that people think of. The scenarios in this film in no way reflect the current ethics or practices of the zoo. We have strict checks and balances in place for animal transactions. With welfare as our guiding principle for every animal in our care. And, and as you know, the use of ambassador animals can be really inspiring and educational for our guests. And, and that's something Jack was really good at. Um, it connects people with the animals and it inspires deep empathy, and that empathy might 
evolve into action that benefits the conservation of these animals and their habitats, which is our world, right? So what we're trying to do with Ambassador Animals is to help our guests and the greater world care, which is what we all really need to do. So that said, we're going to continue the Ambassador Animal Program. We will not compromise the welfare of any animals for any purpose in that program. So it sounds like you certainly understand the concerns that the movie is bringing up. Absolutely. Like I said, we we were able to view the, the film, and we took those allegations extremely, extremely seriously. And one of the things the film, when it does end, it, it gets pretty recent with recent events because it does uh, bring uh, the viewers uh, up to speed on uh, Jack Hanna's retirement and, uh, and then also recent uh, diagnosis with dementia. And it also mentions that the zoo officially now is endorsing the Big Cat Public Safety Act. Is that correct? That is absolutely true. So the Big Cat Public Safety Act, you know, is something that when Jerry Boren came on board, he immediately publicly supported that act. We also joined with the directors of the five other largest zoological institutions in Ohio, and we together asked our Ohio senators to support the passage of the act. And since then, both senators have agreed to be co-sponsors. So we're really, really proud of our part in that since Jerry came on board. And where does that act stand today? Is it still making its way through Congress? It is. It is. Fingers crossed, though, it's going to pass. So looking ahead now toward uh, toward the future, I think you've already addressed this a little bit, but you've already changed your practices now with the, with the new administration for the zoo. So looking ahead, you certainly have this issue of the uh, the cat safety in mind. We absolutely do. And, and, you know, what I would ask people to do is come out and visit the zoo. Um, come out and, and talk to people and, and see the wonderful work that we do, learn about the wonderful conservation work that we do. And, and the other thing I wanted to point out, too, is that these decisions about these, these cats were not made by the majority of people who work at the zoo. We have a fantastic team of dedicated animal care specialists at the zoo. And, and in fact, we are really well known for our expertise in raising cheetah cubs that have either been abandoned or have medical issues. And, and I have personal experience with that. When I was at the wilds, we had uh, an adult female give birth and um, not properly care for her cubs. And Emmett and his sister were born at the wilds. And we knew that they would get the proper care they needed at the zoo. So we sent them to the zoo, and they received every, um, all the care that they needed, both medical and, you know, that, that infant care that we were so good at. And Emmett survived and remains at the zoo today, thanks to that expertise and the dedication and the 24-7 care that he received by zoo staff. So um, I, I, I hope that the film doesn't paint the zoo with a broad stroke and that people really understand that the majority of the staff there, even at that time, always had the welfare of animals at the top of their mind. Dr. Jan Raymer, Vice President of Animal Care and Conservation for the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for the opportunity. So the Conservation Game, it's available in theaters now. It is very well done. It certainly has its point of view, but also lets you make up your own mind, and it does bring things very much up to date to the fact, as uh, Dr. Raymer uh, talked about, about the uh, bill still being stuck in Congress right now. Looks like it's going to pass, but, you know, when Congress is involved, you never know. But uh, it's worth checking out, especially if you have an interest in this issue or maybe want to get the less sensationalized version of some of the things you saw in The Tiger King, and it's called The Conservation Game in theaters now. Next is a hybrid mock documentary documentary. 
about St. Vincent setting out to make a documentary about her music, but when she hires a close friend to direct, notions of reality, identity, and authenticity grow increasingly distorted and bizarre. This is the Nowhere Inn. I love you. I was hoping to get a little uh, after-show footage. Y'all just did. Double, double word score. Damn it. Read them and weep. You're nerdy and normal in real life, but the disparity between that and who you are on stage is jarring. I can be St. Vincent all the time so that I can be a little bit more interesting. This is how actors play rock stars in movies. Yeah, but you, you are a rock star. I mean, I know rock stars like... I love you, but I'm married to the road. Have a good show. Christy Rob reviewed this one for us. And I think what I think is the most fun about this movie is this, you know, musician hires her friend who's a director and the friend who's a director really needs to get back into the spotlight. She's 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 not doing so well in her own career. And the the director realizes partway into this documentary that her friend, the musician, is just boring. She's just (laughs) boring. And I think that's where the movie takes off, is it when, uh, you know, the idea was, let's separate the the woman from the persona, and then they're like, no, 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 we need more persona. The woman is so boring. Yeah, and it is. They are really best friends. Annie Clark, the real name of the performer St. Vincent, and Carrie Brownstein, they are best friends. And so... Carrie is the documentary and the director, and then she's following her best friend Annie. And yeah, she starts out, don't just be yourself. But then when she finds out all they're doing on the bus before the show is playing Scrabble, that's not exciting enough. <laughs> so, so eventually Annie decides to be this rock star St. Vincent 24-7. And then it becomes the full-on mockumentary. That It is funny. And it does, if you're a St. Vincent fan, there's a lot of music and there's some concert footage. And it has that... That dry sort of humor that Carrie Brownstein is known for. And one thing I didn't know about her, she's also a musician. Oh. I did not know that. I didn't. You see her backstage, you're jamming with uh, St. Vincent, so I did not know that. But she's known mainly as a comedian. And and you have that dry, dry sort of humor that isn't always, to me, it's not that funny all the time. But I know a lot of people love it, so I think there's a lot to like about this. And uh, Carrie Brownstein and Annie Clark, a.k.a. St. Vincent, wrote this together. It's directed by Bill Benz. But it is entertaining. It's sort of a, it's not a full-on Spinal Tap mockumentary. It's sort of that hybrid that gives yeah. it its own personality. But but it's very endearing, and it's out in uh, theaters now. And you can, yeah, you can see Christy Robb's full written review uh, at MadWolf.com. It's called The Nowhere In. And one more drama. When Sam decides to drop the charges against her rapist, her friends and siblings gather to stage a Thanksgiving intervention. This is called What She Said. Y'all want to intervention me? Intervention me. It's about you. Not doing anything. Hiding from everything. Will you tell me what happened that night? Can't just drop the charges. You have to pursue this. Why? Because otherwise I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him. Did you want me to make a speech or... So you're mad that a bunch of people love you enough to show up and see you through something awful? Rachel Willis uh, covered this one for us at MadWolf.com, and she was very impressed by the film. It is a provocative idea, and it it's, is, yeah. it's it's handled really well. And really, I think what what the film is is saying is, please just shut up and listen and support the person, and don't try to force something on them. You know, and uh, and right. I, I, it's not always successful. And I think the relationships between the lead and 
her family, her friends, that they, they don't always work out that well. But it, it does say some really smart things. And on the whole, I think it's 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 certainly it was a great try. It was uh, it's, it's a fascinating and interesting idea. Yeah, very provocative idea. And the writer is Jenny Lester. The director is Amy Northup. And, yeah, you can check out Rachel's full review for what she said at MadWolf.com. And that's available on VOD and a bargain rental at four ninety nine. All right, let's get updated on the latest news and head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And we're back in the lobby to check in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, to get the latest reschedulings and shufflings. Do we have a bunch this week? What do you know? Not so much in the way of movements, but uh, got a couple dates. Uh, first up, Nia DaCosta's Candyman is now available on VOD, so if anyone missed that in theaters, they can watch it at home now. Yay. Do it, do it, do it. Do it. <laughs> exactly. Or watch it again. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we'll be doing. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Blumhouse's 1980s coming-of-age drama, This Is the Night, hits VOD on September 21st, and that one's from Purge creator James DeMonico. Stars Naomi Watts, Bobby Cannavale, Frank Grillo, and Method Man. <laughs> Frank Grillo is you. Frank Grillo is everywhere. He all is. Of a sudden. <laughs> he is, man. He is in every movie. Yeah, he really is everywhere. Half the time when I go to pick up my kids, I expect him to just be hanging out in the, uh, <laughs> in the parking lot. Hey, Frank! <laughs> but um, then we have the acclaimed Swedish thriller Knocking. It's getting a theatrical release on October 8th and then hitting VOD on October 19th. Um, Netflix has really been doubling down on animated expansions of franchises. They've already done a Pacific Rim thing. They've got stuff for King Kong, The Witcher, and Army of the Dead on the way as well. But on October 12th, they have an animated prequel to the Will Smith action fantasy film Bright arriving called Bright Samurai Soul, and it's set in the 1860s. Wow. So, All right. It's a, a bit of a gap. Yeah. We also have the Lionsgate sci-fi drama Needle in a Time Stack hitting VOD on October 15th, and that stars Cynthia Erivo, Leslie Odom Jr., Frida Pinto, and Orlando Bloom. Mr. Katy Perry. Shut <laughs> up. Yeah, <laughs> maybe she does a theme song for it. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, Netflix also has a psychological thriller called Hypnotic premiering on October 27th, and I don't know if you all saw the brand-new trailer to... Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley remake. Yeah. But the, Disney's pushed the release date of that back by only two weeks um, to December 17th. Always good to hear del Toro's doing anything. Always interested. Oh, yeah. And then the only other big thing I have for you this week is the long-promised sequel to Twins called Triplets is <laughs> finally happening. And it's It'll be Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito back with Ivan Reitman directing again, and this time they'll be joined by a third brother played by Tracy Morgan. <laughs> Is Tracy Morgan 25 years younger than those two, or am I imagining that? Yes, uh, a, a solid 20-some years younger than those two. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, if, I'm wondering if they're going to lean into that. You know, if they'll. It's the miracle. He'll make a comment on aging in general, or hey, maybe he's been stuck in cryo-freeze for an additional two decades <laughs> uh, before they find yeah. him. It's the miracle of science. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We appreciate it as always. Check in and get the latest news from Daniel at the Schlocketeer on Twitter. Thank you much. Hey, thanks again. Okay, we got a big one next week. A lot of people have been anticipating Dear Evan Hansen finally comes out. 
Also, the French Dispatch. That's one we've been waiting for for over a year. That's right. That's been a while, and that's a new one from Wes Anderson. Always like his stuff. Also, Tragedy of Macbeth. Surge. And Hudson. There's no way there's just five next week. There's no, no way. No, there's there's going to be more, <laughs> as there always are. So <laughs> in the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. Uh, or if you want to still yell at us about Malignant, yeah, <laughs> we're down with that, too. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So, until next week, keep in touch, stay well, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.